Amen. Thank you. You've been blessed tonight already? I know I have. Amen. Well, if you brought your Bibles with you tonight, let me encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13. And we're going to begin reading there in just a moment. Matthew 14 and verse 13. And I need to turn there too. The title of this evening's message is The Master's Steps to Effective Ministry. You know, the best way to learn how to be a Christian is to walk with Jesus. And um, am I doing something wrong? It's just something out there. I prayed against it, but apparently I'm not very effective tonight. <laughs> we, um, we talked this morning in, in, in part about ministry and how God has a plan for you and how he wants to lead you into a place and an activity of service. And so what I want us to do tonight is give some attention to what you can expect as the Lord Jesus continues to lead you as an individual believer into ministry. And what, what is that like? We tend to forget that Jesus Christ himself although he was the Son of God, was entirely dependent on the Father as he did ministry. Everything he said, he said, was because the Father told me to say it. And the works that I do, it's because the Father enabled me to do it. And so he understood that whatever he was able to accomplish, even his insight into what people were thinking, all of that was a consequence of him depending on, on the Father. Now, he taught his disciples to live the same way. And we forget sometimes that these disciples that went out and took the gospel all over the world, we sometimes think they came ready-made, but no, they were raised up. And God, through Jesus, taught them and trained them how to live a life of dependence on the Father. He trained the disciples to do ministry in the very same way that he did ministry, and when you follow him, he's going to train you too in a very similar way. So let's look at Matthew 14, and I want to begin reading in verse 13. Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Do you have a sense that the lesson is beginning? You give them something to eat. <laughs> and they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them here to me. 
Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, as you're looking at chapter 14, turn over to chapter 15, verse 32. Very next chapter. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in this wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Now you think they would have learned from chapter 14. But they're more like us, I think. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Here we go again. And they said, Seven and a few little fish. Notice the emphasis. (laughs) So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came into the region of Magdala. Now, in this scripture that we have read tonight, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 was clearly one of the more spectacular miracles in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it was also an occasion, and I hope you can identify with this, but it was also an occasion where the disciples overemphasized the problem, underemphasized the resources, and underestimated the master. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Magnifying the problem, minimizing the resources, underestimating the master. The Lord Jesus Christ wants to teach you and train you as a minister. Now you said, well, pastor, I thought you had to be called to preach to be a minister. Well, not so. Every believer is called to ministry. Your calling is as important, it is as clear, it is as significant as the calling of any pastor in any church. God has something for you to do, something for you to accomplish, people that are depending on your sensitivity to his leadership. And because he lives in you, it's like having Jesus right by your side, you literally do, inside you, to teach you and train you just like he did his disciples on earth. I just want to call attention tonight to four principles of the master's training program that he has in mind for you this evening. When you follow Jesus, here's the first principle. He causes you to see people. He causes you to see people. In verse 14 of Matthew 14, we read, And when Jesus went out, he 
saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, Jesus was trying to be alone with the disciples. They had been sent on a mission. They had come back. They were excited. They wanted to talk to him about it. And, and this was a moment in which he was trying to withdraw. They were trying to catch their collective breath in ministry. They, they were fatigued. They had spent themselves. And I want you to notice that Jesus saw the people. Even at that moment when they were trying to catch their breath and get a break, Jesus saw the crowd. Now, he was always doing that. He was always noticing the people that nobody else noticed. And he was deeply interested in every person, no matter how insignificant they might seem to the rest of the world. He was always about people. Now, you may wonder, can I be like that? I'm not naturally a a people person. We're going to address that in just a moment. But what I want you to see is that Jesus loved people, and as you follow him and as you respond to him, he's going to lead you to be the same way with people. He was always connecting with people. I like to say that there were two kinds of people that Jesus always seemed to intersect with every day. Hurting people who needed relief from God and seeking people who needed directions to God. Always he was intersecting them. And my experience has been, and experience of many of you, is that when you follow Jesus, your experience each day tends to be the same way. You're going to encounter the same kinds of people. Now, he was always noticing people. I want you to see something else. The disciples are with him at this moment, but they did not seem to see the multitude. Nowhere does it say the disciples saw the multitude, that they saw the the crowd, that they were moved with compassion. That wasn't on their radar screen. And they were right there with him. And so I believe you can expect this, that as you walk with him, you're going to see people and notice people you've never noticed before. It's going to change you and cause you to approach your time differently, your work differently, Even your neighbors, your children, your family, he will cause you to notice them in different ways. In my very first ministry position, I was a student pastor in a church while I was in college. And there was a deacon in that church. His name, he's still alive. His name is Rex Hollingsworth. And Rex would go with us on student trips. We'd go down to Gulf Shores in South Mississippi or someplace like that. We'd we'd go on these trips. And he was involved with the youth ministry. He was a, he was a guy that, that was very active, very supportive. He would have been like one of our table group leaders or um, on our youth team. He'd be one of those kind of guys. But I had a problem with Rex. Everywhere we stopped to get a drink, to buy a sandwich, whatever we were doing, if we had a whole van load or a bus load full of kids, it didn't matter where we stopped. We got ready to go, and I couldn't get a hold of Rex. I couldn't find him. But when I did find him, he was always deeply engaged in conversation with somebody. He wasn't necessarily witnessing to them, although he did plenty of that. But he just found people terribly interesting. 
And he'd strike up a conversation with a total stranger. And within five minutes, they'd be the best of friends. And the next thing I know, that person would be pouring out their whole life story to Rex. And when they got through, Rex said, well, can I pray for you? And he'd just pray for them right there by the bait and sandwiches in the cooler or whatever there was. He always noticed people. He always saw them. Every person. He, just, he loved to sit in a chair and just watch people and observe them all the time. And you say, well, I'm, I'm not a people person. I used to say that. In fact, if you'd known me 30 years ago, you'd probably say, boy, he's not a people person. My favorite thing to do would be just curl up with a book in my study, close the door, and leave me alone for a week. And uh, I was, tended to be introverted. Introverted. With an eye. Uh, introversion means that when you're around a lot of people, you can do anything an extrovert can do, but it'll kill you. <laughs> and that's the way I was. And my wife was the people person. She still is. I still say she's the people person. And... Um, and I learned a lot from her. But as I followed the Lord Jesus, he always pressed me and pressed me and pressed me until I began to notice people as well. I want to take this a little bit further still. I want to suggest to you very strongly that in the course of a day, you must have, I've never counted them, I've never seen a study where somebody's counted them, but in the course of a day, you probably have several thousand thoughts that go sailing through your mind and they keep going. <laughs> Just thoughts. But if you believe and you share the conviction with me that Jesus Christ lives inside of you, then the Lord Jesus Christ is not only there to help you understand Scripture when you read it, He's not only there to empower you when you get ready to do ministry, but he is there to actually speak to you and lead you and guide you in daily life. In fact, I would go so far as to say to you that you need to pay more attention to these thoughts that are floating through your mind. Because there are often occasions where in a prayer time or a conversation or a meeting or a daydream when I should be paying attention and I'm not, or whatever the case may be, that the Lord Jesus will bring someone to mind. And if I don't pay attention to it, he often will bring them to mind again. And again. And again. And as he brings that person to mind, you know, I may be, I may be thinking, uh, well, Lord, what, are, what am I supposed to do? What? You're bringing this person to mind over and over again. And I'm not always clear on what to do. I don't always have a, I don't have clear sentences from the Lord. I don't always have that. I, I tend to have to reach a conclusion regarding what he's telling me. But I remember even yesterday morning, there was an individual in this church that kept coming to mind. They must have come to mind four or five, six times. And I was, I was busy yesterday morning. I was at a retreat for uh, another church, and I was doing some teaching but in between sessions, even while we were singing the song, this person came to mind. So you know what I did? When I got in the car to come home, I got out my phone, I texted that person. I said, I don't know why, but you keep coming to mind today, and I have prayed for you. And they responded immediately and very strongly. 
that it was a moment that they needed someone to pray for them. He brings to mind people. And there are people that he is preparing you to minister to, to call, to visit, to drop by, to do something for them, to invest in them. And as you and I walk with the Lord, it's not just a matter of, oh, I had a good quiet time and I learned these things in God's Word. But as you and I walk with Him, it's not about just feeding and feeding and growing and, and eating and digesting truth. It is always equipping you to do ministry, always to follow Him. Jesus and His disciples were not in the world's longest perpetual Bible study. They were on the move, and they were encountering people. And Jesus was demonstrating what it looks like to lean on the Father, and constantly he's bringing people to you to minister to them. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was on the road for a long time. I, I uh, made a weekend run. Mike preached for me that weekend to Michigan. I've been going up there for several years, doing ministry in a place where the churches are struggling. Millions of people, almost 10 million people in Michigan, and churches there are challenged. And so whenever I've had the opportunity, I'll go up there. And on the way up, um, my pattern for years has been when I'm riding in the car for a long time uh, to pray, worship, uh, sometimes study. Don't ask me how I do that. <laughs> and on that particular day, that particular morning, I was, uh, I was headed north. I think I was in Kentucky, and I was passing through Kentucky. And the Lord brought a pastor to mind. And uh, he's a dear friend, known him for years. His name is Mark. And uh, I've kind of walked with Mark for a long time because Mark's had some challenges in life. The Lord brought him to mind. I hadn't talked to him in months. And so I called Mark. And two and a half hours later, I hung up the phone. But what else was I going to do? <laughs> He brought someone to mind, and at that particular moment in his life, at that very moment in his life, he was hurting, and he needed someone to minister to him. He was a pastor. And because he has, he's physically disabled, his wife, they have one vehicle, she goes to work, and for the last two and a half years, he spent most of his days alone. When you and I do ministry, he's going to cause you and I to see people. And one of the ways he does that is he brings specific people to mind. Here's a second principle. It won't take as long to get through these last three. Number two, he fills you with compassion. He fills you with compassion. In chapter 15, verse 32, he said it in both chapters. But in verse 32 of 15, he says, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Why? Because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. He was moved with compassion, and he stopped everything, and he extended ministry to their need, and he was healing, and, his, and he was teaching in both chapters 14 and chapters 15. And he will cause you to feel compassion also. 
And you say, once again, I'm not a compassionate person. I don't weep for people. I don't shed tears easily. And you may say, that's the kind of person that I am. I don't know why I'm that way. That's just the way I am. Well, let me suggest to you that over time, as you follow the Lord Jesus, he's going to soften your heart, friend. He really is. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to turn the heat up in your heart until it melts the lead in your feet, and he's going to move you to minister to folks. He will. And, and I pray it won't be a difficulty or a tragedy or a challenge, but he often does that. He, he allows something to happen in our life, and we get through it, and then we realize. I've known people all my life who went through the same thing. I never thought about them, never called them, never visited them. And now I realize what they were going through. And so one way or another, God is going to bring you to a place where you are experiencing a need for compassion, and it teaches you to extend compassion. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we were filming the man-on-the-street interviews for Easter, you all remember that little video we played at the beginning of the sermon where we went to a parking lot of the business here in Wynn, and we interviewed people, and I asked them questions. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and if he hadn't rose from the dead, what would change in your life? One of the men that we talked to, you saw him in the video, one of the men that we talked to gave just the worst answers. And, and it was so clear that spiritually he did not know the truth, didn't know the Lord. And when we went off camera, I spoke to him briefly, and he was kind of standoffish from me. And so I didn't press him, but I left him with some material, and I left him with an invitation to come to our Easter service. And so then we turned around, and I was looking for the next victim, person to talk to. And I go over to talk to them, and we had, we had two camera people with us that day. We had Irene Proctor, and we had Lisa Love. And Irene was right there, and I was getting ready to talk to somebody else, but Lisa wasn't there. Now, Lisa's listening right now, and I'm sorry, dear, I'm telling the story anyway. She's back in the media room. She doesn't like publicity. I'm about to publicize her. <laughs> there I am. I'm getting ready to talk to somebody and interview them. And I've got Irene. She's getting ready to, to inter, uh, record my next conversation. And I turn around. I'm thinking, well, where's Lisa? And she's over there talking to the guy in the truck. And not just a little bit, but a lot. And he's talking to her back. He wasn't interested in talking to me, but I guess she was cuter than I was. <laughs> Someone said amen, Lisa. <laughs> now, why did she do that? You can ask her after church. Why did she do that? She felt compassion for that man. She was filming that. She was filming his response. But as she did, it wasn't just, <laughs> you know, just a job at that moment. She felt something for him, and she took extra time with him, and he responded to her compassion in a positive way. So he's going to fill you with compassion. The Lord Jesus feels compassion for people. As you and I are conformed to the image of the Son of God, you and I are going to feel compassion as well. Number three, he places you in impossible situations. He does it in chapter 14 and chapter 15, if you didn't miss it. In verse 15 of, of chapter 14, he says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. No fast food, no restaurants, 
no Sam's Clubs, nothing. And they said, this is a remote place. It's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. If you can do the ministry that God has called you to do in your own strength, drawing on your own resources, I want to gently suggest to you that that's not ministry the way Jesus taught it to his disciples. When you come to the end of your abilities and the end of your resources, and Jesus says, go do it, then you are discovering ministry as Jesus intends it. And by the way, that's when the world notices. He places you in impossible situations. That's why following Jesus is a little bit dangerous. It's a little scary. It's a lot scary. Because he will often call you in the midst of certain circumstances to do something, speak to someone, total stranger, go someplace you've never been, surrender to an activity you've never done, and it's going to draw you into a situation. And you're realizing at that very moment, I just said yes to something, and I do not have within myself the ability or the talent or the know-how to pull this off. And that's just like Jesus. I can't feed 5,000 people. I can't feed 4,000 people. And they didn't get it the first time. They're still chafing the second time he brings it up. And it's probably one of the hardest lessons for you and I to learn. Before you say no, before you assume that, that God doesn't want you to do something, before you back away or, or you quit, whatever the case may be, you got to know that there's an aspect of ministry that is absolutely impossible when Jesus takes you there. And as I, as I put this together, these notes together, I kept thinking of all of the occasions in my own life, and I wish I'd had more time, I would have gotten somebody else up here, and I've shared those stories before, but I can't think of an exception to the rule where we have not said yes to God, and it was an impossible element to that ministry. Beginning with leaving college and going to Southern California to be church planters. And whether you looked at the money didn't add up because it didn't, or you looked at our training, we had none, or you looked at, at the logic of taking a couple of Southerners, even though I had traveled the world as a kid, taking a couple of Southerners and putting them in Los Angeles where the most interesting thing people found about us was our accent, especially Gail's. She tried to order a cheeseburger one time at a restaurant, McDonald's. They asked her what country she was from. <laughs> and then the Lord lifting us up from that environment where we had learned to work with 
strugglers who were struggling with same-sex attractions. We were in a homosexual community, a gay community of West Hollywood, a place where we had learned to work with people with highly addictive behaviors like gambling, and I had worked at one point with high-stakes poker players in a ministry in Las Vegas, starting churches, um, seeing five congregations started when we didn't have the money and we didn't have the people and we didn't have the property to pull it off. And over and over again, experiencing God leading us into circumstances where if he did not move, we were sunk. And you say, well, what are you doing at when? This is way over my head. You say, well, you've got experience and you've had all these years in ministry and you've worked at the state convention and you've been a church consultant and all this kind of stuff. Can I just tell you the truth? When I said yes to the Lord to come to win Arkansas, my very next prayer was, help me, Jesus. Because I love him, and I love you, and I love people, but I can't get to all of you. And uh, I'm used to pastoring in a scenario or being a staff pastor in a scenario where I can get to everybody I need to get to. But I can't even begin to touch the needs that are here at Wynn Baptist Church. And quite frankly, I'm not supposed to. God has called pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so I'm looking at the help. I'm also looking to people who need ministry. And as we grow together, as we follow him, he's going to lead each of us in the circumstances where you're going to find yourself doing things, saying things, working with people, and you're thinking, I could never do that. But all you have to do is say yes and follow him. I want you to feed these people, Jesus said to his disciples. And you can stand there and cough and sputter, but that is still the will of God for your life. He's going to place you in an impossible situation. Finally, the fourth principle is this. He reveals himself through a supernatural effectiveness. That's what the impossible thing is all about. <laughs> because you know, if nobody else gets it, you know that if anything good comes from this deal, it's because God stepped in and made it alive. God breathed life into it. He made it fly. He gave it lift. In John chapter 6, verse 23, you don't need to turn there, but you may just want to jot it down. I've always been impressed with the fact that after Jesus fed the 5,000, they crossed the lake, and then they came back to a certain spot, and they remembered the spot because they said that was the place. Let me read it. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. The people remembered that moment because Jesus simply said, thank you to the Father for this inadequate provision. For you and me, it would be, thank you, Lord, for this impossible circumstance. I'm in. <laughs> and at that moment that Jesus thanked the Father for what was obviously inadequate, it became adequate. And the people never forgot it. Because God worked through Jesus at that moment and did something people would talk about for centuries. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, 
That's the part you and I do. And it may not be speaking, it may be serving, whatever it is, but our gospel did not come to you in word only. Just what we do. Just what I can accomplish. But also in power. I don't have power. And in the Holy Spirit, He is distinctly a different person than me. And in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. He's not saying we were great men, we were wonderful men, we were special men, we were ordinary men. Ordinary. And our gospel didn't come to you word only. You saw what happened. You saw what happened when we came. We did our part, but oh, look at what God did. And He came, and people were saved, and lives were changed, and a church was established in Thessalonica. God wants to work through you in such a way that when it's over, when it's done, you've entered into this impossible situation where the Lord tells you to do something you thought you never could do, you can never accomplish, and because it's impossible, when God works through you at that moment, everyone realizes it wasn't you. It was something that God did. One of my favorite sayings, I, I was thinking of a, a specific individual a few days ago, and we were talking about it. I think Mike and I and staff or something were talking about a guy at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention named Bob Fielding. And Bob works with partnership missions and chaplaincy, and he preaches in different places, works in Haiti, opened up Haiti uh, after the earthquake there. And If you talk to Bob, he's a part-time chaplain with the Jacksonville Police Department. And... Um, and Bob's always got a great story. I'm telling you, it's, and it's not just, you know, all oh, I witnessed somebody the other day and they got saved. No. I went to this place, and it was just the right moment at the right time, and I met this person, and we had this conversation. This conversation led to, to a, a deep sharing of the gospel, and this person was saved. I was talking to an officer the other day in the car, or I got a dispatcher, and they were telling me they were having a hard day, and I went and talked to them. Or I was at the prison preaching in Newport the other day, and I did this, and we were down in Haiti, and nothing was happening there. But then we started doing this thing with the kids, and suddenly all these kids are starting to come to Christ. And, and it's like hanging out and trying to wire a house while the power's on when you hang out with Bob Fielding. And that's exactly what it's like when you and I hang out with Jesus. You don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what he's going to ask you to do. It's going to sound absolutely impossible. But the power's on. The power's on. You never know. <laughs> but it's a whole lot better to live there than to play it safe. I'd rather be dangerous and hang out with Jesus than play it safe the rest of my life and never see anything real or powerful happen. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We want to conclude the service with a time of worship, time of response to Him. And as we sing tonight, as always, I just want you to respond to what God has said to you, your heart. We'll have pastors standing at the end of each aisle. You know, earlier in the service, we saw a young man that was baptized. 
And he had trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior years ago. And he had come to a place now where he was following him in baptism. Maybe tonight you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when we stand and sing, I invite you to come. Talk to these pastors. Tell them, I want to know Christ. I want to know how my life can be changed and how my sins can be forgiven. And they'll share with you the gospel. They'll read scriptures with you so you can see it for yourself. And then we've been talking about following Jesus as he dwells inside of us and guides us and leads us. Just like he led those disciples, he wants to lead you. He wants to train you. And he's going to bring people to mind that maybe you need to be talking to or ministering to. He's going to lead you in ways that suddenly your life becomes more and more like the book of Acts than just the story of a a Christian in a church who goes to a lot of Bible studies. And it's going to be pretty cool. And so maybe tonight you just want to bow your head or you can come, depending on what's on your heart, the burden of your heart, you may want to just come and kneel at the front. But would you tonight just turn to the Lord and just say, Father, I'm not sure what it means. And it sounds a little scary. But I want everything that you're offering me in Jesus Christ. I want to follow you. And Lord, the next time you bring someone to mind, the next time you prompt me, the next time I feel that nudge in my spirit to go and do ministry, Lord, I want to say yes. Would you talk to him like that tonight? Would you be able to say that to him? Father, we thank you for your wisdom and the way you trained up those 12 men, 11 of whom ultimately would go and change their world in their generation. And Father, we want to be a people like that. We want to be a church that's not just satisfied with what happens on Sunday morning. We don't want it to be just a place where we get encouraged and where we have nice friends. But we want to be among those people who change the world in their generation. And we want you to use us, our lives, our homes, our families, to be a channel of your grace and a channel of your love all over wind, throughout the delta, and around the world. Lord, would you lead us as we respond to you now. May our voices and our heart response reflect worship, and may you be pleased. We pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?